Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Logue. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Logue is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. Philippians chapter 4, and in case you use one of our pew Bibles, uh, you will find that on page 982. This morning, we are finishing our study of Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. And as always, I hope that this series has been helpful for you over the last few months as we've seen that God is always at work in us and through us in whatever circumstances uh, we find ourselves. As we've looked at how to live our lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel as citizens of the kingdom of heaven by uh, standing firm in our faith by pursuing unity in the church, by resisting legalism and imitating the example of mature believers and always being characterized by joy, peace, and contentment, uh, among with the other things that we've learned along the way as well. Now, as we finish the letter this morning, we are going to be reminded of the importance of partnering together for the gospel. And so we're in Philippians chapter 4, and we are going to begin in verse 14. Paul writes, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So last week, Paul began to address the gift that the Philippians had sent to him in Rome with Epaphroditus, which is the reason that he wrote this letter in the first place. And he told them, on the one hand, that he was, he was very glad, it brought him great joy to receive it, but he also emphasized that he had learned to be content in whatever circumstances he found himself. And whether he had a lot or nothing at all, whether life was going well or whether it was falling apart, Paul had found that he could do all things as the Lord empowered him from one situation to the next. And so he wanted to make sure that they understood that he was not speaking out of a sense of need. This is all well and good. Right? Certainly all of us could grow in our sense of contentment in life, and Paul gives us a great example of that. But at the same time, if, if uh, you just read this, his words could come across as if he were ungrateful. It almost seems as if he's saying, thanks so much for that gift, but I didn't really need it. So I don't know if you've ever given a gift to a small child, and uh, they look up with a whiny face and they say, I already have one of these. Charming, right? And you say, okay, kid, just see if I ever give you anything else ever again. And, and so the, it's possible that as the Philippians read this, they might read Paul's words and think, oh, well, well, maybe we don't need to support Paul anymore. He seems to be doing just fine all on his own. But that's not at all what he means to convey. And so as we pick up again here in verse 14, he clarifies by telling them that it was kind of them to share in his trouble. Now what we translate is, as kind is a word that also has a connotation of being right, or appropriate. Now, other, other translations try to capture the balance by saying, you did well in this. 
And so, in other words, Paul is affirming that it was good for the Philippians to do what they did. And then in verse 15, he shares his memory of the Philippians' past faithfulness in supporting his ministry when no other churches did. He recalls the fact that among the churches that he planted in the region of Macedonia, which would have included the Philippians, the Thessalonians, uh, the Bereans, and, and possibly even more, only the Philippians entered into partnership with him by supporting his ministry financially. Now, we remember, or you may remember, one of those instances uh, from Acts chapter 18, when Paul was in the city of Corinth. And we saw that when he first arrived in the city, uh, he had to support himself by working a second job with Priscilla and Aquila as a tent maker. But once Timothy and Silas arrived with a gift from the Philippians, he was able to stop working, and he was able to devote himself full-time to the work of ministry. But in verse 16, Paul points out that even while he was still in Thessalonica, before he even left the region, the Philippians sent him financial assistance more than once. And we saw through our, our series in, in 1 Thessalonians that Paul was only in Thessalonica briefly, maybe only a couple of weeks. But even in that short period of time, the Philippians took the opportunity to send support to Paul more than once. The Philippians were possibly the smallest and the poorest of the churches in Macedonia. And yet they stood out from among the churches by being the only ones who partnered with Paul. And so Paul has a unique appreciation for their support. And so Paul affirms the Philippians for the generosity, and he continues to clarify what he means as we move into verse 17. So we'll pick up again beginning there. He writes, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so picking up here in verse 17, while Paul commends the Philippians and their faithfulness to him, he once again clarifies that he's not seeking the gift in of itself. Now this is the second time where, where Paul has distanced himself from wanting to seem preoccupied with receiving financial assistance. And so there seems to be a tension here between Paul wanting to encourage the Philippians to continue giving on the one hand, and then also not wanting to be seen as, as just desiring to get more money on the other. And of course, most all of us know of so-called ministers who use their platform as, as a way to get rich, and that's nothing new. In the ancient world, uh, teachers, philosophers, politicians, uh, religious leaders would, would travel around and perform in order to make money. And it would be easy to lump someone like Paul in with that group. And so with this, this back and forth that he's doing of, of thanks so much for the gift, but I didn't really need it, but it was good for you to send it, but I'm not really seeking the gift on itself. Paul is, is trying to, to walk this balance uh, of making it clear that he's not trying to just flatter the, the Philippians into giving him more money so that he can get rich. You see, Paul didn't do ministry so he could get more money. Paul got more money so that he could do ministry, and there's a big difference there. And in fact, at the end of verse 17, he tells them that what he's after is not the money they send, but the reward they receive for their faithfulness. 
See, as, as much as Paul appreciated what this gift meant for him and his ability to minister, his bigger focus is on what the gift means for the Philippians themselves. And that is that they are a church that is committed to the Great Commission and that demonstrates their commitment in the way they give to support Paul's ministry. Now, we have investment overtones here. We see the words fruit, which some translations render as profit. We see increase and credit. And back at the end of verse 15, Paul characterized this partnership as one of giving and receiving. Right? These are financial terms. The Philippians and Paul are in a partnership that involves giving and receiving financial resources. And the essence of it is that as the Philippians invest their finances in Paul's mission to spread the gospel around the world, they are earning interest back. However, this interest is not something that they're going to find in an earthly bank account. This is referring to what Jesus described as having treasure in heaven. And so you may remember in Matthew 6, verses 19 and 20, Jesus taught, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And so Jesus was teaching his disciples not to use their money in ways that only benefit them in this earthly life. Instead, he called them to use their money in ways that will lead to them having treasure in eternity. And so we see that as the Philippians invest themselves financially in the expansion of the kingdom, particularly through Paul in this case, they are storing up eternal dividends in heaven, treasure in heaven in return as a reward for their faithfulness. And I'm telling you that you can't beat heaven's return on investment anywhere. It's the best investment you could possibly make. Moving into verse 18, Paul summarizes by saying that thanks to their gift, he is now fully supplied with everything he needs. And so we see this is apparently a substantial amount. And he refers to their gift as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice that is pleasing to God. And that may sound odd at first. Why would, why would Paul put this in sacrificial language if Jesus has already paid the penalty for our sin? Well, we have to remember that there were a variety of sacrifices and offerings in the Old Testament, and not all of them were in place to atone for sin. Right? Some of them were, were ways of offering thanks to God for his provision in life, or they could simply be done as a, a sign of devotion to the Lord. And so here, Paul isn't saying that the Philippians have made a sacrifice for sin in any way. He simply means that their gift to him was an act of worship. That God was pleased with it, and it was costly to them, much like a sacrifice would be. Not only that, but in verse 19, Paul assures them that as they have supported him, God will supply all of their needs in return, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And while, the, while Paul has been supplied by the Philippians, the Philippians will be supplied by God, who has no limits on what he is capable of doing or providing. And church, this is an exciting promise for us, but it's also an interesting promise, because here Paul is, is guaranteeing that God will always meet the Philippians' needs at the very same time that he has told them of how often he goes without. It's an interesting little dynamic there, and this reminds us what we often consider to be needs in our lives really are more appropriately categorized as wants. 
Right? There are a lot of things that we feel like we need because we've become accustomed to them, but they're not truly necessary for life. So, for example, Paul didn't always have three square meals a day, but he also didn't starve to death. He certainly didn't have the nicest clothes or the most fashionable clothes. Sometimes he didn't even have the ideal clothing for a particular climate, but the Lord sustained him. And this is the day-to-day reality of many of our brothers and sisters around the world who have absolutely none of the modern conveniences that we have and just can't imagine what life would be like if we didn't have them. But God provides for their needs, and Paul promises that he would do the same for the Philippians. And so just to be clear, there is no prosperity gospel here. Paul is not saying that if we give our money into kingdom purposes, then we are going to get rich in return. He's not saying that, that God will always give us what we want, how we want it, when we want it. But he is promising that God will always meet our needs, and we will have a great reward in heaven for our faithfulness. And then in verse 20, as Paul closes this section, he's led to give God praise for his faithfulness to his people. He says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And don't overlook this, because this statement is really the foundation of everything Paul has written in this letter. Right? The only reason that anything that he's written in this letter matters is because the God of the universe allows us to call him Father. Right? That despite the fact that every one of us naturally rebels against him, rejecting his authority over our lives and rightly deserving to receive his judgment, the Bible tells us that because he loves us, God sent Jesus to die on the cross where he paid the penalty for our sin for us so that we could be forgiven of our sin and reconciled to him by turning from our sin, by repenting of our sin and trusting in what Jesus has done to save us. Not only that, but when we respond to the gospel in faith, the New Testament tells us that God doesn't just forgive us and, and send us along on our way, but it says that he actually adopts us and he treats us as if we were his children. And that relationship, that, that love and security, is what motivates us to live our lives in obedience in the ways that Paul has explained throughout this letter. Right? Our God and Father is worthy of glory forever and ever because of who he is and what he has done. And then beginning in verse 21, Paul sends the Philippians his final greetings. And so we'll pick up one last time in verse 21. He says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And so as Paul closes this letter in this last section, he sends personal greetings to the Philippians from himself uh, and from the brothers who are with him, which would include Timothy and any of his other teammates who were with him at the time. He also sends greetings from all of the other believers, whom he refers to as the saints who are in the city of Rome. And at the end of verse 22, you'll notice that he points out especially those who belong to Caesar's household. And now he doesn't specify who these people are. They may have been family members of the emperor, or they may have been servants, or, or some combination of both. And it's probably wise that he didn't publicly identify them. It could have uh, exposed them to danger. But the point 
is that we see here that the gospel has spread. It has advanced even to those who are in the immediate circle of the Roman emperor himself. So Paul is ending this letter on a note of victory. Because despite all of the hardships that he is facing, despite all of the hardships that the Philippians are facing, the gospel is advancing in even the hardest area, the very heart of the Roman Empire, that at this particular point in time was just beginning to oppose it. And so Paul's about to stand trial for his ministry. Whether the emperor realizes it or not, some of the people who are closest to him have also become followers of Jesus through the, the ministry of the gospel. And no doubt that had to be encouraging for the Philippians to hear. And as his last words, Paul blesses the Philippians with a prayer for, for the Lord's grace or his favor to continue being with them. Just as the Lord's grace began a good work in them at their time of salvation, so now God's grace is going to continue to be with them as they receive this letter and seek to put it into practice in their lives, individually and corporately as a church. And that is the book of Philippians. And so as we finish in our passage this morning, we are reminded of the importance of partnering in the gospel. Right, the Philippians' partnership with Paul was the reason he wrote this letter to begin with, and now at the end he encourages them to continue partnering with him going forward. Now, obviously, the Philippians were responsible for, for ministry, evangelism, and discipleship in the city of Philippi, but as Paul commends them for sharing in his trouble, we recognize that churches are also called to work together with others in other places for the advancement in the, go for, in the gospel uh, where it has not yet reached. And we've said this before, but it's, it's important for us to remember that while we here at First Baptist Lowe are primarily responsible for evangelism and discipleship in Southeast Texas, we always need to have one eye open for opportunities where we can partner with others who are engaged in ministry in other places. And this, this principle is why we do what we do in terms of partnering financially with other ministries. Right, so as we give regularly each week, uh, our offerings, first of all, cover the expenses and, and fund the ministries that we have here at Loeb. But beyond that, uh, part of our budget is dedicated to partnering with others as they engage in ministry elsewhere. And so as part of the Southern Baptist Convention, we give to the cooperative program, uh, which funds all kinds of things. It funds uh, church planting and international missions. It funds theological education through our six seminaries. Uh, it funds disaster relief work and, and much more. But beyond that, we give to our local church association. We support the work that they do among our churches here in the area as they help them to collaborate together. And we support East Texas Baptist Encampment, and, and we help fund the work that they do through camps and retreats throughout the year. Right, this year, we started giving to, to fund Bible Translation Fellowship as we seek to help people get access to God's Word in their own language. Now, there are a variety of ways that we do this, and we always need to be on the lookout for other opportunities as well. So you may remember from our study in 3 John that when we partner with other people in gospel ministry, we become co-workers with them in the truth. That means that their trouble becomes our trouble, like the Philippians and Paul here. But it also means that their success becomes our success. Right? Their salvations become our salvations. Their disciples are our disciples because we helped enable them to be where they are and to do what they're doing. 
And as I was thinking about that this week, it just dawned on me that there are going to be people in heaven that we have no idea about. And they are going to be excited to meet us because they are there in part as a result because we gave. And there are going to be people in heaven who we have no idea about right now. And they're going to be there because they heard the gospel. And the reason they heard the gospel is because there was a missionary or a church planner who was able to share with them. And the reason there was a church planner or a missionary able to share with them is because they were able to go because we gave to support them financially. And there are going to be people in heaven who are there because they were finally able to read the Bible in their own language. And the reason they were able to read the Bible in their own language is because a translator translated it. And the reason a translator was able to translate it is because they were able to devote themselves to that task because they didn't have to work 40 hours a week to support their family, in part because we gave to support their ministry. I can tell you this, when, when Paul talks about investing and interest and things like that, one thing that we will not think of when we get to heaven one day as we look around and see what God has done is, I can't believe I gave so much to this. Right? That is not going to be the thought that comes to our mind. If anything, we will think about how much more we wished we had given. I forget who first said it, somebody did, but, but we can't outgive God. We just can't. We can never outgive what God has given to us through Jesus. And as we think about how our giving impacts eternity, it should motivate us to give more and more. And as we close, I, I just want to say personally that it is such a joy to be the pastor of a generous church. And that's exactly what First Baptist Lowe is. Our church always meets our budget, even through all of the ups and downs that we have faced over the last two years. We're always in position to give when a need arises. We're able to bless other people and support the work of ministry in other places. And that's because our membership prioritizes the kingdom in the way they handle their finances. And of course, there's, there's always room for, for growth. There's always, uh, it's always appropriate for us to evaluate whether or not the Lord might be calling us to give more. But on the whole, I am convinced that Paul would commend First Baptist Lobe in much the same way he does the Philippians. We have a generous church, and I am so proud of that. I want to thank you for your faithfulness to give for the kingdom and encourage you to continue to do that more. And so from here, let's keep it up. I pray that, that the message of Paul's letter to the Philippians will take root in our hearts and our minds, and our church will continue to grow in living our lives in a way that commends the gospel, uh, that's worthy of the gospel uh, until the Lord comes back. Let's pray together.